What I'd like to talk about tonight is Dzogchen, the innate great perfection, or the natural great perfection. This is a teaching, as it says in the Dzogchen Tantras, or the Dzogchen oral scriptures, as it were. Dzogchen can't be taught It can only be transmitted and realized. In other words, it can't be taught, but it can be caught when you catch on intuitively. It can't be taught. It can be transmitted and realized. It's not something we can collect or glean from books like some kind of esoteric information or intellectual knowledge. It's not something we can study about except through practice or spiritual experience. Of course we can study about it. There's no end to intellectual pursuits. And pleasurable as they may be, still they have their limits. The Dzogchen view, to use the precise word in the tradition, the view or outlook of the great perfection is the heart of the matter. Not the theory, not the technique, but the outlook or the wisdom aspect, the awareness, the Gnostic experience itself. So when we talk about Dzogchen, Although it appears in the form these days of a Buddhist teaching, part of the Mahayana, Vajrayana, or Tantric teachings of Tibetan Buddhism principally, and just for context, of the Nyingma school, the ancient lineage school of Tibetan Buddhism, which has many schools. It's part of the practicing lineage Still, I think first and foremost it must and needs be said today in the West that it is not an Oriental philosophy. It's not some kind of Buddhist scripture. It's not a foreign doctrine or product that we need to import like Japanese cars or or tofu or something. But we have our own soybeans here. We can make tofu. Even without tofu, we can eat soybeans. So the message or the the view, the teaching of Dzogchen is something that I think relates or resonates with, points directly to our own highest or deepest fundamental nature, our so-called Buddha nature, our original true nature. Even to call it Buddha nature is to put it, again, afar, foreign. You know, Buddha, slanty-eyed male from ancient times in India. But our true nature, beyond Buddhism, beyond any ism or schism, that's the subject of Dzogchen, that's the heart of the matter. Of course, that's the heart of the Dharma matter, anyway. But just to be clear, This is a teaching, and I should say, as has always been said in our lineage, thus have I heard, 
so you know that I didn't just make it up, that somebody else did. (laughs) Thus have I heard. (laughs) The view or the truth of how things actually are or Dzogchen, with great perfection, or just things as they are, predates Buddha's time, predates Buddhism, existed in many other times, dimensions, solar systems, and so on. Thus have I heard from the Buddhist teachers. But besides that bit of mythology or cosmology, isn't it obvious that this is not just something that's part of a religion or a Buddhist doctrine, things as they are, truth, how could that belong to anybody, to any school? How could any one sect or cult like Buddhists have a corner on that market? So the Dzogchen teaching purports to introduce or work with directly things as they are. Through recognizing how things are, we realize that there's nothing really to do or undo in the great perfection, in the great emptiness. We can actually let go and experience or enjoy our true Buddha being, our Buddha-like being, our Buddha nature. The inherent, just to speak English, the inherent freedom and completeness of being. You know, if I say Tathagata Garbha, Sugata Garbha, Nirvana, Dharmakaya, Shunyata, it all sounds good. But what the hell does it mean, really? <laughs> Dharmakaya, Sambhogakaya, Nirmanakaya, you know, Hahakaya, and so on. <laughs> So, I think what we're here for is something else, hopefully, and that is to get to the bottom of things, to answer our own profoundest question, or questions, right? So, this teaching, this path, introduces a way of being that is not just a technique, it's not just a meditation, it includes Every activity is a tantric or integrative path of freedom, of awakening, of wholeness. That's why it says in the Dzogchen Tantras, again, thus have I heard. And thus have many of you heard since you come here every year. Thus you heard last year, thus you heard the year before, (laughs) thus you can hear next year if we're still alive. It says in the Dzogchen Tantras, We are all Buddhas by nature. It is only temporary obscurations which veil that fact. We are all Buddhas by nature. Of course, some of us are like sleeping Buddhas, some are like awakened Buddhas, and everything in between. But we are all complete, whole, luminous beings, Buddhas, inherently free by nature. This is the teaching of one of the oldest and venerable schools of Buddhism. This isn't just something that Suridas made up, that I just learned at a workshop in California, (laughs) or somewhere, in Totnes, I don't know. (laughs) 
This is one of the most venerable and ancient practice paths of timeless wisdom, extant, existing, remaining today in our world. The Dzogchen tradition of Buddhism, the Dzogchen teachings, the Vajrayana tantric teachings culminating in what we call Mahaati Tantra, the peak vehicle, or Dzogchen, the great completeness teaching. Of course, it's also called Mahamudra, whatever you call it by any other name, you know the rest. So what is it keeping us from fully realizing, actualizing, or even better, enjoying our innate great perfection? And I stress our, our, that includes you. You know, don't leave yourself out back there in the corner. I know we all say, oh, even me, what, Buddha? No, not possible. Well, you can, we're free to say that. We're free to live like that. But there may be other ways of looking at it, other views, other perspectives than our usual limited egoic self-concepts. So what's keeping us from that, even right now? What are we suffering from? What are we dissatisfied about? Who or what is suffering or dissatisfied? Let's look directly into that. There's tremendous freedom and illumination there in that direction. Self-inquiry, to give it a name, introspection, contemplation, investigation, meditation, which is part of it, but not the whole of it cultivating awareness, knowing things as they are and ourselves as we are, not just as we'd like to be, as we imagine to be. You know, enlightenment and Buddha is not exactly what we think it is. Those are just concepts. Nirvana, the far, so-called far shore. Where do we think that far shore of Nirvana is? On the other side of the channel? It's certainly not. If you've ever been there, you'll know. <coughs> Nirvana is said to be here or nowhere. So that's a challenge, isn't it? If it's here, where the hell is it? Where did I misplace? I must have misplaced it somewhere. <coughs> it says in the Dzogchen Tantras, it's too close, so we overlook it. It seems too good to be true, so we can hardly, or we can't, believe it. It's not outside ourselves, so we can't reach it, we can't get it, we can't obtain it. It's so transparent, it's so obvious that we don't see it, notice it. So in this practice, based on this kind of outlook of the great perfection, and that means beyond perfect and imperfect, good and bad, including both. Including both. Including the shadows as well as the light and the rainbows. Including the bad weather as well as the good weather. Including the the grief and the sorrow and the misery 
and the depression, as well as the light and the love and the joy, including all that <clears throat> in the great perfection, in the great letting go, in the great release or relief. That is freedom. That's a famous, renowned nirvana. That's liberation. Liberation from fixation, from suffering, from resistance, from attachment. Liberation from dualism. Liberation from delusion, dualism. So in the practice, as you may have noticed already, that we're doing here, it's based on this innate this view of the innate great perfection or wholeness. Not something that we have to believe in, like a dogma. Please. The true Dharma, the Buddha Dharma, has nothing to believe in. There's everything there to discover, to find out for ourselves. Nothing to believe in, no dogma. The Buddha himself questions all dogmas, including his own. So don't believe it. In the Kalama Sutra, I'm sure you're all familiar with this. That's the old quote, but I'll trot it out anyway, if I can remember it. The Buddha said in, his, in the Kalama Sutra, he was speaking to the tribe of the Kalamas. He said, don't believe it just because it's written in books. Don't believe it just because it's said by the elders or the parents. Don't believe it just because it's believed by society. But look into it yourself through careful investigation and scrutiny and find out for yourself. And if it's conducive to the good, to the whole, to benefit, adopt it. Otherwise, cast it aside. So what is required here, but I think we each require ourselves, is not belief but investigation, inquiry, keeping our eyes peeled, as Tanto used to say, you know, keeping our eyes open, seeing things as they are. It's no great trick. Why don't we want to? What's keeping us from it right now, except our own craving, desire, projections, which distort our perfect 2020 vision. So if we look into what is afflicting us, we might be surprised. It's only our habits, our projection, our distorted vision afflicting us. Nobody else is doing anything to us. Nobody's imprisoning us. Nobody's making us angry. The karmic imprint, the seed of our anger are seeking objects to express themselves upon. Nobody can make me angry. Don't check too closely, please. (laughs) (laughs) But you get the point. (laughs) There's tremendous peace in this path. Fulfillment, really lasting fulfillment. Not just cheap thrills, but lasting fulfillment. I hope you yourself are shaking your head inside. You know that. Since you're here, 
since you're putting up with this tirade, since you're sitting all here all day wasting your time doing this. I know you already know this to be true. These Dzogchen teachings are said by many uh, lamas, old lamas from Tibet today, that it's a teaching for our time. It's been long held as a secret teaching, an advanced teaching in Tibet, but these days it has been spread, it's been translated, it's been taught, because people are ready for it. This non-dual tantric approach, what they call <coughs> in the Dzogchen tradition, again, I'm just translating from the Tibetan scriptures, the view from above, sweep, swooping down from above with the absolute view, which balances, which is complementary with climbing up the spiritual mountain from below, according to our capacity, ascending gradually from below to relative, like, general Buddhist spiritual practices. So swooping down from above with the great view of infinite perfection, of infinite emptiness, while impeccably living in this world according to conventional truth, gradually ascending the spiritual mountain from below. Then balancing like the two wings of a bird, the absolute truth with the relative truth of skillful means of compassion, ethics, karmic interconnection and so on. Then we really have a balanced and satisfying practice. Then there's nothing to wait for, nothing to look forward to, because we have the bigger perspective. Even while we're working out things, the minutiae of daily existence, very meticulously as part of spiritual life. Not just wondering how long is this going to take till we can get rid of all these details. These details are it. The infinite is in each one. That's balancing the great view with the conventional reality. That's as the Taoists say, having our head in heaven and our feet on earth, or bringing, joining, that's the word I want, joining heaven and earth, the absolute and the relative, with the divine and the human. Right here. This is the great crossroads. Nowhere else. So this Dzogchen teaching is a, called the non-dual path, like Mahamudra, like some others. I'm sure you know what they are, Advaita Vedanta and so on. Non-dual means not two, no separation. Not elsewhere, but right here totally and completely. And that non-dual, that tantric insight, like the term, the great perfection, of course it doesn't refer to a school of philosophical thought. It refers to our own nature. No separation in the inner light, in the light. No separation. Everything part of it. Everything complete right here. Nowhere to go. And no one to get there. And therefore no obstacles and no hindrances. 
The word Dzogchen again means the innate great perfection. That refers to only one thing, our own true nature. Only secondarily does it refer to any teaching or school of Buddhism. It's pointing directly to our own inherent freedom of being. That's the great perfection. So it's up to each of us to take up our meditation cushions and walk. As they say, as Christ said, you know, take up your sick bed and walk. They take up your meditation cushion and live. Let go and let be and let live. Meditation, this is just, this is a metaphor for being. But we have to be all day in every walk of life. Not just in slow, zombie-like, meditative walking, but in every walk of life, right? That's where life actually happens and where the spirit actually abounds, lives, flourishes. So here we get together, we create a little artificial greenhouse or pressure cooker and we make a big deal out of it and pump up the pressure and, you know, try to cook the rice. But the rice is already rice. And if you planted it, it would grow. So let's not wait for enlightenment to descend, the big bang of enlightenment to hit us on top of the head. Or we might miss it right under our nose. So I think that's all I want to say tonight. I could go on, and I will go on all week, (laughs) for better or for worse. But I'd like to open the discussion now to some Dharma dialogue. If you have any questions or anything you'd like to say, particularly about the practice we've been doing. We've only been here for, I don't know, 24 hours but it seems like a lot has happened. So please feel free. I'd like to ask you about letting go and not letting go into this very now and uh, the um, as far as I can see in my own experience there's a fear which um, in which I, I choose to remain contracted or to hold Mm-hmm. And I don't know the object of this fear. I can't find the object of this fear. And in a sense, I can't find the fear either. <laughs> but it's there. There's something. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, there's, there's, there's a contraction, which is certainly the, the, uh, the bodily um, experience of fear. Mm-hmm. I think it's fear of pain, but I don't know. Could you, could you say something about that? <laughs> mm-hmm. So what are you afraid of? You think it's fear of pain, or what else could it be? 
Okay. So since you've said that again, so then I have to say, so can you find the subject who was afraid? Um, Turn away from the object and toward the subject. Make that like the object. You get a different perspective on that. Can you find the subject who was afraid? Or what is afraid? Or where is it? Or how does it fear? You know, how does it happen? How does it happen? You mentioned the body, sensation, sense of contract, you know. How does it happen? What's afraid? Where is it? Who is it? How is it? Well, I only know myself as the experiencer, or I identify myself as the the experiencer, and therefore I have to say I am afraid. I mean, mm. I, I don't know. <laughs> you can't push me on who I am because I don't know that. Yes, I can. <laughs> <laughs> I intend to. <laughs> I identify as, as an experiencer. And, um. In the very moment that you're afraid, what are you, you know, what is it? How is it? How is it? It's. It's a contracted feeling in my body. Mm-hmm. Very good. And right. So, this is not about denying it or saying it's not there or there's no fear. Fear, you know, has its own logic and function, and we experience it. But the next step is identifying with it, judging it, getting contracting as if contracting around it. In the very moment that you experience it, is the moment where sort of like the choice is made. It might not be a conscious choice, but the choice is being made. It either sticks or it doesn't stick. You're identified with it or you release it. Like, even if it goes as far as a contraction of the body or of your, as it were, psychic space or something, you might breathe that out. Just like, recognize that and relax, decontract consciously. Relax into the fear. I know you fear, not there is no fear, you know, suppression and denial, or fear is empty, (laughs) you know, that's whitewash. Oh, fear, I know you fear. You know, like Buddha said when he was enlightened, and Mara, personification of darkness, challenged him. He said, oh, I know you, Mara. It's like, you can't fool me. Fear is there. Fear should be there. We don't want to get rid of fear. We don't want to get rid of all of our emotional intelligence, our, our sensitivity, our, you know. They all have their, their enlightened, their natural function also, right? Like passion, become compassion. Anger has its own other sides, like sharpness, clarity and so on. So fear has its own logic, its own function. We can live with it. Why don't you see if you can really, like, relax into it in that moment where you can, instead of contracting more around it, breathe open into it. Say, you know, like I know you fear, or you know, any, any little trick you need to be I don't want to say be with it because it sounds too separate. I'd like to be it. There's just fear. 
No problem, just fear. I think it's a little sort of vicious circle there, but anyway. Yes, it is. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Uh, uh, my own, my own uh, uh, um, way of consoling myself <laughs> is to uh, figure that uh, when I'm ready, I'll let go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's perhaps not something I can do. Any right. Maybe you're not ready. Yeah, yeah, right. So you have to let go of this push to you know, achieve letting go, and you know, it is a vicious cycle, it's a whole, you know, it's like the worm Ouroboros is consuming its tail. So, I know you Ouroboros, you know, chomp, 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 have a good meal. Because we could say, you know, why don't you give it up right now, and then, you know, we don't know what to say to that, because, quote, we're not ready, you know, on that level of discussion, we're not ready. On another level, that doesn't really uh, obtain. It's not really cooked on anything. So the fear is just like everything else. You know, it, it might be bliss. When you get bliss, you don't worry about that, do you? <laughs> right. That's what I mean. Well, that's just another experience, another moment, another illusion, another slice of the kaleidoscope. Not worried about getting, you're not saying to yourself, I guess I'm not ready to let go of that, but I hope I will one day. So that's why if you turn toward the subject, you realize the experiencers is experiencing all these different things. They're all, you know, in one perspective, even, equal. Then you get a little more equanimity or detachment, not complacence or indifference, but detachment. A few is a big one not going to go away but fear you know it's like on a treasure map X marks the spot wherever you find the fear there's really a treasure there to be learned from if you can like approach it or hang with it a moment longer before you pull back and contract you know whatever image you have of it one could even go further into like in tantric practice we say feeding the demon like offering yourself to the fear uh, which brings up all kinds of reactions, doesn't it? And we get to see them better. And by doing it intentionally, then you have more perspective on it rather than just being buffeted about by those reactions. So you can face the fear a moment longer than usual. You get to know better and you know we might see something. That fear is just a strong like emotion, just like and there are others. So we each have different ones at different times. But I wouldn't go as far as saying, oh, I'm a fearful person. Why am I always full of fear? You know, that's just discursive thinking, adding adding all kinds of you know tar and feathers onto yourself for no reason. But we'll look into that this week as we go. Fear is a big one for all of us, let's face it. You mentioned fear of pain, but we all have fear fear of dying, fear of being seen as we are, fear of, fear of our positive as well as our negative sides, hmm? no. fear of loss, fear of death, you know, who doesn't have fear? 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what you're supposed to do. Supposed to is a little bit questionable, but um, what do you do? So why complicate matters? <laughs> Said that. Sure. I hope you'll have your house after, so you can go home and live in it. It doesn't say you have to give up your house. It says. I mean, the language is always tricky, you know, have to and all this, but we just, language is just a weak translation, but we'll use it. It's, what it says is, it's attachment to those objects that bring suffering. It's desire, you know, desire doesn't just mean like sensual or sexual desire, but it's craving, it's desire, it's attachment, wanting those things that is ultimately dissatisfying. As you yourself are telling me, since you're not satisfied with your house, your video camera, I forget your list, your car, your Learjet, your whatever, (laughs) and you're seeking enlightenment, and you might even consider selling all those things if you could buy enlightenment, then you're, uh, you know, we're all sitting here because we know this is not the, those things are not the answer. And those things are not also the problem, but it's our involvement, our overinvestment in them that is dissatisfying ultimately. What? You're going on? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, Go on. I've sort of tested myself out on this. And right. I got very close to selling my house. I'm going to believe the fact that it was binding me too closely. Well, who knows? Maybe it is, but it's probably not the answer. It might be a good move. Who knows? But the house is probably not the problem. But, you know, I mean, if you want to go into it more, we could talk about it. But again, I'm just repeating, because I think it's relevant, since you said you always heard, and the myth is that you have to do this and that. Those, you know, those are kind of gross misinterpretations of the rather subtle teaching, even, let's say, fact of life, that it's craving that is dissatisfying. It's not craving a house. It's the craving itself, you know, whatever it's focused on. It might be craving for enlightenment that is dissatisfying also. But that's a little bit later. It's probably good to shift our aspirate, you know, our, ta- our craving from gold and whatever, you know, addictions we have 
to like a higher craving called an aspiration, like for enlightenment, until we go beyond all craving, all all wanting. Are you with me? I can't see you very well back there. Yeah, good. So, you know, that's why many have sung. So I just kind of, Kabir, the poet Kabir comes to mind. He sang, better to dye our hearts the color of holiness than to dye our clothes. That's the point. So you're talking about your house, we're talking about clothes, but you, you get the point. You know, you throw away your house and you throw away your kids and you throw away your job and you leave wherever you live, let's say England, and you go somewhere else and you find a can of worms there too because you brought it, which is, you know, our habitual tendencies and our conditioning. That's what we have to work with. Of course, it might help to simplify our external affairs so we can focus more on a spiritual work. That might be very true at this point for you. But while we're working from the outside in, like changing, rearranging the furniture of our life, we have to, I think, be working from the inside out. But since you're thinking about this, and since you seem like a nice bloke, I'll just I'll go along with your way of thinking and, and say, Milarepa, the, the great yogi and poet, sage of Tibet, he sang. Really, the rest of you shouldn't listen to this. This is just for him. <laughs> he said, to, to leave one's homeland behind is to accomplish half of the Dharma. You get the point? That includes, in one fell swoop, everything. Your house, you know, everything. Right. Well, you have to translate these things also into your own, your own situation. But you know, like to go forth is to accomplish half of the Dharma because we're stuck in our comfortable, complacent nest. You know, it smells, but it smells so familiar we always come back to it. That's our little egoic prison cell. But the door is open. I mean, there's not even any walls or ceiling. So when you're ready to, to go out into the big wild world, then you will. should expect a lot of yourself. <laughs> I do. <laughs> now you see, if you pump, if you blow up these, these thought balloons, they will become absurd. But I think it's okay to have an intense passion for awakening. I don't think we just have to wait, you know, kind of for to be ready we can make ourselves we can ready ourselves already (laughs) and I think we should none of us can do it all but that doesn't mean that we don't have a part to play we could be doing ourselves readying ourselves so you've come here you know you're ready you already made a mistake. 
So you've, you've committed yourself into the path. It's too late to just stay home and hope that, you know, Buddha knocks on your door. I don't know, maybe she did already. That's why you came or something. But, you know, once you start, I mean, the karmic momentum is there. Don't hold yourself back. You're asking me about renunciation. You didn't use that word, right? The basic teachings always say renunciation is very important. Detachment, letting go. So I'll give you Trungpa Rinpoche's definition of renunciation. Tantric definition, but it relates to what we're talking about. He said, renunciation means to let go of holding back. It's harder to let go of holding back than to let sell our silly house, isn't it? What are we holding back? What are we afraid of? What are we saving ourselves for? You know, the real thing? the real relationship, the real path, the real practice, miserly saving ourselves for the real thing, when's that going to be? When we grow up? You know, what are we going to be when we grow up? <laughs> what, that's now. So I encourage you to go forward, you know, don't... <clears throat> Don't spin your wheels and try not to and, you know, wait to be ready and all this. You're ready. You're, you're ripe. You're overripe. You're going to rot soon if you don't do anything <laughs> <something> about it. <clears throat> yes, in the back there. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good, that's a good question. So, uh, <laughs> I basically sit and, and relax and go into my center, but I don't know if this is what I'm supposed to do, if there's anything mm-hmm. I'm supposed to do because it's right. much more structured. Yes. So, I'm not quite sure what I'm doing. So, you said you've been doing the Tao? Yeah, I've been doing the Tao for the last few years. Right. Oh. So, what form does that take? Just so I have some idea. Are you talking about yes. movement, energy, meditation? My what? energy is creating a pearl. Well, you're free to do that if you want, but that's not exactly what I'm teaching here. Yeah. You know, not that it's contradictory to that or anything. Like bringing together water and fire, as I'm sure you know, it has not very little to do with water and fire, but it's about complementary polarities and just like I said, heaven and earth and <coughs> effort and non-effort, right? And absolute and relative, right? So, just different words. So, I hope that what we're beginning to look into here is a ba- very basic way of being. You can call it meditation if you like. In Dzogchen, it's usually called non-meditation to distinguish it from certain kinds of like mind control or concentration exercises, visualizations, and other kind of mental gymnastics. But cultivating the innate awareness, being present, and so on. So it sounds like you know what you're doing, so I feel good about that. I think you're fine. You're sitting, you can be with the center. I don't want to add too many words because you'll find your own balance point. 
And um, what did you say? Going into the center and something else? Yeah, just sit there. Yeah, can you just sit there? Yeah. What happens? I just watch what happens. That's good. What happens around here and relax a That's great. So, wait a minute, before you go on. So a lot of you were advanced, if not totally jaded, old meditators. <laughs> How does that sound? <laughs> so you see, you know, beginner's mind. <clears throat> we don't know if it's true, but it sounds fine, right? So we let it, <laughs> I'll take your word for it. <laughs> okay. Uh huh. You formed a pearl, but instead of the emperor, I had this Buddha woman sitting in you. And I didn't know that there is a female Buddha. So I wonder if you can say something about that. Yes. The female Buddha is much more precious than the pearl. <laughs> no, the male, the male one is just a poor imitation. <laughs> Especially if you're looking in you. What do you, what, you mean it should be somebody different than you? Good. Keep talking. You're giving good teachings. <laughs> See, that's why I've been thinking more and more of these sessions as Dharma dialogues than question and answers, which is so square. We all have our Dharma. Let's bring it forth. Yes, there, as you said, there is a female Buddha and so on. You know, we can elaborate into that, all kinds of things, but Maybe the simplest explanation is the best. You know, not overly simplifying everything, but simpler is good. So it sounds good. But I, I will say, as I was teaching before, it sounds very good, but I'm not going to lay you off that easy. So really be honest with yourself and genuine with your experience. See what's going on, okay? And ask as much as you want. I like, I like to hear your fresh questions as a... a I don't know who's a beginner around here and who isn't, but you know what I mean. It sounds like you just started to meditate here. Uh, anything else, please? Yes? Can you tell something about uh, thinking and thoughts coming up during your meditation? Where do you come from and where do you go? <laughs> I'm supposed to ask you that. <laughs> when you look into who or what is thinking, what do you find? You know, I and mean, we just told about thoughts. What about feelings, sensations, perceptions, whatever, sounds, sights? But we, they're all more or less the same, you know, mm-hmm. right? So. Where are those happening? Where do they come from? Where do they go? How does it happen? What is the nature of this so-called mind or consciousness? Have you looked into that? One could look into that. You asked me, so you look into it. I mean, it's easy to answer. I mean, it says in the books, but it doesn't help. So what's come from the mind? Uh, well then you get another answer everything arises from emptiness Uh, where does it go? everything returns to emptiness are we satisfied now? (laughs) no right but we can look in those directions that will help us 
At least we're not thinking, oh, thoughts come from, you know, other, I don't, you know, magicians are sending them to us or something, or, you know, the electricity is coming out of the plug in the wall, and you know, it'd be better if we were meditating. Somebody told me this. They couldn't meditate in our um, hermitage somewhere because it had electricity. The electricity was disturbing them. So if we notice that you know everything's coming more out of emptiness or out of our own mind, we can turn back a little bit instead of you know like being so outwardly turned towards finding out what's afflicting us, and really look into that. I mean, experientially, look into it, investigate, because you can't see the thoughts, but you can experience them. So I'll ask you again. I'm going to be asking you all week. If you turn the mind back upon itself. Let's say, think, we're not really interested in thinking and analyzing here, but a little bit, you know. Mind the mind. Think about thinking. Look into the source of the thoughts, feelings, experiences, perceptions. I can give you a little direction here. This is all taught in the part of the Dzogchen and the general Buddhist teachings. You know. Where does it, what hears the sounds? We're talking about the senses, right? Sounds, sight, nose, eyes. What hears the sound? Is it the ear? This is for everybody, so. Excuse me? Right. Corpses have ears, right? But they don't hear anything. So what sees? Is it the eye? Right, so you can say again, something inside, right? Right. So what smells? The nose? What tastes? The tongue? Only? <coughs> Not only, right. So what feels? You know, tactile sensations. Is it just the body? Corpses have bodies. They don't feel anything. So it's something inside. Good. Getting closer. So we all have to go through this. I mean, we could go through this. It could be a very illuminating direction of inquiry, of analysis, analytical meditation. So what is the something inside? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I know you're not anymore. <laughs> no. What is this quote inside? And is it inside? Where is it? You know, is it up here? Is it in our head? Is it in our chest? Is it in our feet? You know. Right. See, she's ahead of the game. So we say, oh no, it's in our whole body. So you say, is it here? Is it in here, in the cavities, you know? So it's not really something, it's a... It's subtle. It's subtle. What is it? What is it? Subtle. It's very subtle. It's very fine. Not a thing. So what is it? This is not a small question. I don't expect this to come up with an answer tonight. You know, there are whole schools of Zen that they don't do anything except their whole life. They they spend with the question, "What is it?" Mm-hmm. Stephen and Martin Bachelor studied in that master, and he's he's a great calligrapher. He made millions of Zen scrolls. They're all over the world, and all they say is his question, "What is it?" <laughs> That's what you're supposed to meditate on, like a koan, your whole life. What the hell is it? <laughs> but it's the question, isn't it? 
we all have with many different variations and flavors and forms. What the hell is it? What's going on? What is this? You know? Why me? No, that's a Woody Allen. <laughs> so if you look, quote, inwards, you know, where, what is it? It's called investigating into the nature of the mind. See how it works. Maybe it's hard to answer where the thoughts come from, where they go, but you might sense the process. Tune into, notice, observe the process itself. It can be very revealing. Has anybody else experienced anything or when they, yeah? Oh, when, okay, No, just anything. Ah, afternoon. When we stopped, I just started to tremble, and really shake, and sort of vibrate, and I could have turned it off, but I sort of let it go, and let it course. But during the chanting, I had a feeling of resistance, because it's so powerful. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I wanted to stop at some level. And I didn't know where it was going to be, so it was kind of this fear again. But Stopped and trembling came and it went and went on and so hit. Very good. Mm. I don't know what the question is. Quite. So, <laughs> what are you afraid of? It's going to lead somewhere. It's going to like yeah, carry you beyond yourself. I don't know if it'll erupt. Mm. Well. Okay, erupt. Yeah, I I don't know if you have some particular problem, you know, but in general, just. I mean, assuming that you're a stable individual and you're not going to have a heart attack or, you know, whatever, that, um, hey, you should erupt, mm. burst, mm. whatever it takes. I mean, we're just, we're just finger painting here. I mean, if we're really going into it, you know, we have a chance all day and all night to try to precipitate such an eruption. Some teachers and trainings they do that, you know, but that's that's kind of more dangerous or risky, you know, stuff. But do you have a thyroid condition or any kind of anything? So I think you should chant more. Did you get anything from the breathing exercises? Any shakes or enlightenments or I don't know what, you know, problems, experiences? Yeah, I've done sort of pranayama and things before, but just I mean, right out of the belly, so it's not good to sort of to heave out. So when you've done pranayama, yoga, and stuff like that before, do you get these shakes? I've had shakes similar like that before, but never been chanting before. Okay, well, let's see where it goes. That's probably no big deal. Have you erupted before? That's your word, so I just... Well, we could say, then don't worry about it, you're not going to erupt. On the other hand, we'll say, why don't you chant a little more and and erupt? So that's up to you. This is your path, Mm -hmm. not mine. And when you're ready... You know, I mean, one image of the since you talk pranayama, 
is, you know, the Kundalini rising and the different chakras opening and blossoming and then, you know, the erupting the thousand petals, lotus, chakras like an eruption, you know. So that's a metaphor, a symbol of something erupting like like everything opening, releasing, you know. Yeah, right. But disintegration of what? Something you want to keep forever? Yeah. Right. Disintegration of the ego, loss of control, going beyond ourselves, and so on. So that's that could be highly positive, especially you know, as long as we have a stable personality, and you know we're not like manic depressive or on you know Thorazine or something. But in general. Yeah, that's a good direction. If you can, you can work at that level of intensity, it'd be very uh, growthful. So I think we'll stop here. Good night. Have a good night. We'll see you tomorrow morning.